2 Timothy, chapter 3 and verse 10. And ladies and gentlemen, this is the word of God. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Unveil its truth to our hearts. And this be glorified, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. What we have before us is Paul's last words to his son in the faith, Timothy. Last words are important words. It's been a privilege of mine to be around some folk when they know they're nearing death. And it's interesting. They don't talk about trivial things. They don't talk of the trivial. They talk about the important things. They don't say, I always wished that our front door was green rather than red. They don't talk about little stuff. They talk about big stuff. They say words to me, would you somehow contact my son and tell him I forgive him? They talk about big things. And here, Paul is talking big things to his son in the faith. Chapter 4 goes on to say that he knows his time is near to his departure from this world. The time of my departure is at hand. I'm being poured out as a drink offering, he states. So all of this that we're reading in 2 Timothy are very vital, very vital words indeed. God has revealed himself in his word. The ramifications of that are extreme. They need to be taken on board. We need to understand that. And we need to understand what we have before us when we have a Bible. Do you believe that? Do you believe the Bible is the Word of God? If you do, there are ramifications. We need to come under it rather than suggest to it what it means. We need to understand what it means and submit to what it says because being divinely inspired, it carries the weight The gravitas, is that a new word for you? The gravitas, the weightiness, the solemnity of the fact that this is God-inspired words before us. If you have your hand out, there is something I'd like you to see there. First of all, the scripture in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You'll see there a picture. It's actually an artist's work by M.C. Escher. It's called Drawing Hands. It's a very famous painting. 
And we have to ask the question as we look at that, which hand is drawing which hand? It's actually a very hard question to answer. And that because, that's because one hand is drawing the other hand while at the very same time the other hand is drawing the other hand. And I appreciate this as an illustration because it expresses something in art form that Christian theologians have been trying, seeking to communicate regarding what the Bible is. The Bible is a human book. And the Bible is a divine book. It's both. And there are people that simply say it's all divine. It's all divine. Man had no part in it. It was almost like it just came down on a parachute perhaps. And there it is. There's our Bible. That's not how it was at all. But there are others that say it's just a human book and God had nothing to do with it. But the revelation of Scripture is that the Bible is both human and divine. Think of Christ. The Bible says of him that he is truly God and truly man. He's truly man, truly God. He's altogether man and altogether God. I can't understand that, but that's the record of Scripture. Colossians 2.9, in Christ dwells all the fullness of deity in bodily form. He's the great God as well as the man. Christ Jesus. He's not half God, half man. He's truly God, truly man. And our Bibles are of man and of God. Question on the notes, is the Bible a human book or a divine book? Answer, the Bible is both a human book and a divine book. In fact, thoroughly human and thoroughly divine. Inspiration did not occur by means of the human authors becoming something like robots or dictation devices. The words penned a human, expressing the thoughts and personality of the writer. Just as an aside, you know that Luke is a doctor when you read his gospel accounts. Far more detail about the nature of the disease. Mark just says they were very sick, or something like that. And then Luke tells them, tells far, far more about the conditions. And yet God superintended each word so that every word is also divine. God breathed. Divine inspiration refers to more than concepts being communicated, but the very words. More than that, every jot and tittle. These are small punctuation marks on the page in the Hebrew language. I wonder if we can go in our Bibles, keep your place in 2 Timothy. Go to the Gospel of Luke. You would think because something is divinely inspired, either God himself or he might send an angel, and an angel might say to Luke, okay, start your gospel this way, I, Luke, and he writes, I, Luke, want to write to you, want to write to you. That's not how it was. Look what Luke writes, verse 1 of chapter 1. Luke 1 verse 1, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. Here's a recognition. He was not part of that original group, but he's found out what the eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered. Verse 3, look at this. It seemed good to me also. You're kidding, that's it? It seemed good to you? 
It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, O most excellent Theophilus. Just a comment. This is the awfulest word name I, I, I can think of. There it is. Who was Luke writing to? Theophilus. It's a, the name means God-friendly. Theos means God and phileo speaks of friendship. And most excellent, you look at that and everywhere else where that phrase is used, it speaks of a dignitary. There are many speculative ideas as to who this man was and we're not sure. It could have been that Theophilus was the man in, in charge of Paul's trial, which would make a lot of sense. But we can't be sure of that. And Luke was writing to give an account of who Jesus is, that's in Luke, and then who Paul is, that's in the book of Acts. But we don't know that for sure. That you may have certainty, verse 4, concerning the things you've been taught. So Luke started writing thinking, it seems good to write this. It seems good to me. That was the human idea of the book. But beyond that was the divine idea. God inspiring every word. Go to the book of Acts. Also written by the same gospel writer. Book of Acts. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, which is a reference to the Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, same man, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so he goes on. So both Luke and Acts is a continuation. Acts is a continuation of Luke, and Luke was written because it seemed good to him to do so. Seemed good to me. Go to the Gospel of Matthew. Because I want to give the contrast now, and yet it's not a contradiction. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, familiar words from Jesus. Matthew 5, 17, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away. That's everything in the universe. That's what's in view. Not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. The Hebrew words that he's uh, referring to here are yod, we call it jot in English, and tittle. And these refer to marks on the page, not just little letters and even words, but marks on a page. Uh, jot, Hebrew yod, is the tenth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's also the smallest. It looks like an apostrophe. Not quite, but it looks a little bit like an apostrophe. The tittle that's in view here is even smaller than a jot, and it's an extension of a letter. It's a very tiny mark, and it's the smallest detail. What we have before us is Jesus' view of the Old Testament. There's many places where this is borne out, but here he's saying there's not even the smallest marks on the page that won't be fulfilled. That's his view of inspiration. Jesus believed in jot and tittle inspiration. Not just that the concepts were right and they got a concept and put it in their own language. No, Every word is divinely inspired up to the marks on a page. That's Jesus' view. Jot and tittle inspiration. 
Below that in your notes, you have the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith, chapter 1, and it's the first article regarding the Holy Scriptures. Here it reads, the Holy Scriptures are the only sufficient, certain, and infallible standard of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. And so it goes on. Right at the end of that, it says, therefore the Holy Scriptures are absolutely necessary because God's former ways of revealing His will to His people have now ceased. We are not really making anything of a controversial statement when we say the canon of Scripture is closed. No one's writing Scripture in the 21st century. So, summing up, Jesus' view is this. Heaven and earth will disappear before even the most minute and smallest detail of God's law will pass away. Not just the concepts, not just the words, but the smallest, the most intricate, the, the minute Marks on the page, all are inspired. If you're reading theological terms, you'll come across this phrase. Don't be worried about it. It's uh, verbal plenary inspiration. Verbal, we understand that. Words, plenary. If someone is teaching at a conference and it's a plenary session, all can come to that rather than the breakout sessions, which are not for everybody. But plenary means all. So verbal means words, plenary Plenary means all. That's what we mean when we say verbal plenary inspiration. What are we saying? All the words of the Bible are inspired. I wonder if you agree with that. I wonder if you believe that. If you do, there are ramifications. What God has given us are two things. General revelation, which really is the observations of nature and science. They inform us a lot. Romans 1 tells us that the heavens, or Psalm 19 is read earlier, the heavens declare the glory of God. Romans 1 tells us that the uh, attributes of God, His invisible attributes are clearly known by means of the creation. They tell us something about Him, His attributes that are invisible to us, His eternal power, His divine nature. You read of that Romans 1 and verse 20. As I say, the heavens declare the glory of God. And then we look at the heavens and we say, why is this so big? I don't need that star that's so, so, so far away. And the message is, it was never about you, sweetheart. It was never about you. It was about God. God displaying who He is and the vastness of space, of space shouts out the majesty of God. We don't need that star, but God says, I'll make it for me. I'm going to enjoy it. You might never see it. In fact, only till the 21st century would we have seen some of the stars we have seen, and yet there are many, 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 many billions, billions and billions and trillions that we have yet to see. And God says, because it wasn't all about you, it was about me. Praise the Lord for that. Why so much? Because God is vast and so big. It shouts and declares the glory of God. So that's general revelation, and it brings with it something we call gravitas, that solemnity, because God does not give us the right to be atheists. He doesn't believe in atheists because He has made His knowledge, the knowledge of Himself, known by creation. He doesn't believe there's a sincere, honest atheist because He knows what He's revealed to man. So there's weighty implications for that. God says, you know that I exist, you know that there's a God, and He doesn't believe in atheists. He's made Himself known. If there's a painting, 
It's evidence that there is a painter. If there's a building, there's a builder. If there's a book, there's an author. And if there's a creation, there's a creator. Yet, general revelation has its limitations. By itself, it's not enough to save. It's only enough to condemn us. It tells us of the existence of God. But it, does it tell us how to be saved? No. For that, we need something else. We need special revelation. That's what the Bible is. It's God's self-disclosure of who He is and how to be right with Him. Let's go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Because God has revealed Himself in creation and in Scripture... This is a huge rock to be thrown into our theological pond, our view of our world. Well, I think, yeah, I think this, I understand, but God says this, what are you going to do about it? Well, well, I think reincarnation, we just come up, you know, time's up and we have another try at it next time. I understand you think that, but the B-I-B-L-E says it's appointed to a man to die once and after this, the judgment. And if we're Bible-believing Christians, we come under that. We don't have a syncretistic view and say, I'll take this idea from here and this idea from there and I'll absorb it into an amalgam of all kinds of beliefs. No. When God has spoken, we're responsible to come under it because it carries weight. It carries the weight to bind the human conscience. Those are strong words. That means I'm now responsible once God has revealed himself and revealed his truth. At the Reformation in 1521 at a place called Worms in Germany, spelled Worms, where Luther opened up a can of worms. I believe that's where the expression comes from. He was asked to recount of his writings. And he was given 24 hours after he asked for it to think through his response. The next day, his books were, or some of them, and many of them were laid out before him. And he was asked a simple question. Well, do you recant? Just say one word in Latin, revoco. I recant. And here's what he said. He said a number of things. But he said this, unless I'm convinced... By sacred scripture or by evident reason, I will not, I cannot recant, for my conscience is held captive by the word of God, and to act against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand, I can do no other. God, help me. And from that statement, the concept of sola scriptura was born. The Bible alone is the Word of God. Nothing else rises to that level to bind the conscience. Nothing. Once God has spoken then, the whole human race is responsible for what God has revealed and is to come under it because God has spoken and there's no other authority higher than God. And God in His authority has given us His Word and we ought to come under it. The very Word of God. We have responsibility to live according to it. Where's that in the Bible? Well, Matthew 4.4, 4, Luke 4.4, 4, the same verse quoting Deuteronomy. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's Jesus' view. We are to regulate our thinking, all that we think, according to the revelation of God. 
Why? God has spoken. It changes everything. You may not like organized religion. You might prefer disorganized religion. But once God has spoken, the only religion he approves is what he's ordained by his word. That's it. God never said to Moses, go around the tents of the the Amalekites and knock on their tent doors, so-called, and ask them what kind of service they'll come to, what kind of music they like, how long the sermon should be. No, you do all things according to what I've shown you on the mountain. That's the only thing I approve. And by the way, if you try anything else, you're probably going to be dead. That's the way it worked. That's a massive rock in our theological pond. Would you not agree? God has spoken. Hear the weightiness, the solemnity, the seriousness of that. Everything of your life and mine, everything of life in the church is to be regulated by God's inspired words. So as we come to 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is uh, addressing Timothy for what he believes is the last time. Final words to his son in the faith, and they're vital words. Look at verse 10. You, however, that's Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions. You've been through some things too. You know it. You've gone through it. You know of mine. And the sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, 78% of those who desire to live a good, excuse me, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Let me pause for a moment. We understand this hurt people, hurt people. Similarly, deceived people, deceive people. Many of you know I used to be on TBN as a host, Trinity Broadcasting Network, a so-called Christian organization. And people have asked me, do you think they were all fake and frauds, or do you think some of them were sincere? And I said, my answer is, I think there's a mixture. I think some were absolute frauds. Others actually believed the heretical things they were saying. They were deceived but sincerely believe those things. They were deceived. Look at the text. They were deceiving and being deceived. But here's the instruction, verse 14. But as for you, here it begins to outline the sufficiency of Scripture. As for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it. Now, let me again pause. Rather than saying, I'm off the scene. We've had this very strong close relationship. I'm going. I'm going to heaven. You're going to be left behind here. I'm not handing you over to some other person. I'm not saying, uh, here's the Apostle Peter's address. Should you have any uh, further questions? He's the Pope, of course. None of that. None of that at all. Nor is he saying, a little voice will speak to you as to what to do. No. He says, you understand what you've already received. Continue in that knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood, literally infancy, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. From infancy, you've been given the knowledge of the sacred writings. This is a reference to what we would now call the Old Testament as Christians, the Tanakh, according to the Jews, 
But at the time when this was written, the New Testament was still being written. So, Paul says, what Paul writes to Timothy, you know the Old Testament scriptures, the sacred writings, look at this, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Never buy into the lie that the scripture isn't clear about salvation. Oh, well, some people have this idea, some people have that. No, here's the record of God. The Old Testament, even the Old Testament, is able, not unable, it's not a fuzzy thing, it's able to make you wise for salvation. It's able to give you the knowledge of salvation. I wonder if you as a Christian could just, with your Old Testament, prove that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and that salvation is through faith in Him. Because Paul says that's what the Old Testament teaches. Thank the Lord we have the New Testament. More details spelled out. But by themselves, the Old Testament tells us that. It's able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. In fact, when the Apostle Paul speaks and writes of salvation in the book of Romans, and he articulates the fact that justification is by faith alone, he goes to the Old Testament scriptures, and exhibit A is Abraham, and exhibit B is David. That's Romans 4. Abraham was justified by faith before he did any works, before he offered up Isaac, and he was counted righteous through faith alone. That's where he goes. Abraham's a big person in Jewish culture. So is David. He's going to the big guns, and he's proving that justification is by faith alone. David Sin was not imputed to him. Should have been. When David sinned, it should be on his record, he sinned. But sin was not imputed because Jesus Christ coming a thousand years after David would take his sin on himself as the substitute. And it was credited to Christ's account on the cross and not to David's. Wow, what a message. Yeah, it's the message of the gospel. Don't buy into the lie that the way of salvation is unclear or fuzzy. No, it's very, very clear. And the Old Testament scriptures are able to give you the knowledge of salvation. And what does it say? Salvation is through faith in Christ. That's the Messiah, Jesus. All of our Bible is so, so important. The message is this that Paul was bringing out. There's not going to be different kind of services in heaven. You know, a 9 o'clock service for the Jews, 11 o'clock service for the Gentiles, the Jews singing, I got here by what I did, and the Gentiles getting in by saying, I got in by what Christ did. Do you know there's only one gospel? And Abraham believed it, and David believed it, and the Old Testament saints believed it, and that's why in heaven we'll be singing the same song. Abraham will be singing, He saved me by grace alone, through faith in Him alone, all to the glory of God alone. And we'll be singing the same songs because we're redeemed by the same person, by the same act, His work for us, and His life for us, and His death on the cross, and His resurrection from the dead. That's the gospel. The gospel that God loved this world so much that he gave his one and only son, born of a virgin, living a pure and sinless life, always pleasing the Father. Then on the cross, God transferring the sin of all those who would ever believe, laying it on him. All was laid on him and he died in our place. 
He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment due to us was upon him. And by his stripes, by his wounds, we are healed, reconciled to God. Three days later after his death, he rose from the dead and he is now at the place of all authority in this universe. And anyone who calls on the name of the Lord in repentance and faith is saved now and forever. An amazing gospel. As we continue reading, he goes to verse 16, which is the famous word. There's a lot of famous 3.16s in our Bible. John 3.16, 1 Timothy 3.16, here's 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Do you see that in your Bible? All Scripture is breathed out by God. Now, here there's a change because... The sacred writings in verse 15 refers to what we believe to be the Old Testament because the New Testament was still being written. Here there's a switch and there's a change because now he's speaking about the nature of Scripture. He's not talking about the extent of it. When someone says all Scripture is, they're speaking about the nature of Scripture. It is this. It is not that. It's this. It's speaking about its nature. All Scripture, all the graphic, all God's writings are literally one word in Greek, theonoustos, and it's from two words, the word for God and the word for breathe. And some of our English translations simply put it like this, all scripture is inspired by God. And that's very good, I wouldn't dispute that, but the actual wording is more literally rendered here in the ESV and others and it's breathed out by God. Literally, God breathed. All Scripture is breathed out by God. If you were to put it in English, because the, word, the words breathed out mean in English, if we put it in one word, expired. And when we breathe in, that's to inspire. When we breathe out, that's expired. It would be a more literal wooden translation to say, all scripture is expired. That wouldn't go too well because people wouldn't think, uh, well, my milk has expired, I've got to throw it away, you know. Um, But expired is a more literal rendering of the text. But inspired is the best we can do in English, otherwise we'll just bring just great confusion. But bear in mind the more literal translation would be God breathed. All scripture is breathed out by God. Breathed out. All scripture, wherever you find it, Old Testament, New Testament now, is breathed out by God. That, again, is another rock to be thrown into a pond. Dramatic repercussions. There are ripple effects. That's what we have in Scripture. He's not addressing the extent, but the nature. All Scripture, speaking of its nature, is God-breathed. Steve Lawson once wrote this, The Reformers, chief of whom was Luther, asserted that the Bible is over the church, that the Bible commands and directs the church, not the other way around. That really was the heart of the Reformation. It was a crisis of authority in the church and no longer would human tradition and ecclesiastical councils and even the Pope himself be the authority in the church. The highest arbiter in the church would be, thus says the Lord, as it was recorded in the canon of written scripture. End of quote. 
Why do we grasp that? Jesus had that high view of Scripture. Matthew twenty-two thirty-one. Have you not read what was said to you by God? Jesus' view was when you read a passage in the Old Testament, you happen to be quoting Exodus, though it's written centuries before, and originally said to a people of a different age, get this, you're reading what was written a long time before God is speaking to you. The moment you hear Scripture, that's Jesus' view of Scripture. In our world today, we live in a day in the religious realm where the cults and all false teaching sometimes admits that the Bible is the Word of God, but then has a plus. But you also need this. You need our booklets to understand it. You need our magazine. You need our council. You need our magisterium. You need something more. Something more. I wonder what's in your heart when you look at your Bible. Do you say, this is great, but I need something more. For me as a charismatic, the more was what happened between my ears. I look back and I wince because I was adding to the Bible. And here's what conclusion I came to after many, many years. Only the Bible is the Word of God that has the authority to bind the conscience. Only. I could think I've heard from God, but I couldn't say, because of what's happened between my ears, you are now responsible for everything I've just said. I can do that with Scripture. I can't do that with what happens between my ears. That's a big rock, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you allow it to land in your pond. Because the ripple effects means only Scripture is the Word of God. Only Scripture is binding. And whether it be in the form of a pope or a magisterium or some cult that says you can only understand the Bible if you get what we say about the Bible, because it's, according to Rome, it's the church that gave you the Bible. I would completely disagree. It's the Bible that gave us the church. It's the Word of God that has brought forth the church. It's God speaking that has brought forth life from the dead and has resurrected dead people to form the called out ones, the ecclesia, the church. Do you believe the Bible is necessary? I hope you do. Do you believe it's sufficient? Because we're looking at a passage of Scripture that tells us exactly that. The Bible, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says and teaches that the Bible is enough. Rock, pond, ripples. I don't know how the Apostle Paul could have been more clear in this passage. We're going to continue reading. All Scripture is breathed out by God. In fact, this is not the only time he does this. He's saying goodbye to uh, elders at Ephesus. They were meeting at another place in the book of Acts chapter 20. And again, he does the same thing. I'm going... I'm leaving, and now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. You'll read that, Acts chapter 20, verse 32. This is not the only time he does this, where he says, I'm leaving, but I'm leaving you with all you need in the word of God. All scripture is breathed out by God. What about that? Well... Just take a little tour before we move on, very, very quickly, to 1 Timothy, 
We're in 2nd. 1st Timothy chapter 5. Some of you might find this helpful. 1st Timothy chapter 5. Look with me in verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, for the Scripture says... Now, notice what we're about to read in verse 18. Paul is quoting Scripture. First quotation, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. That's interesting. That's a quotation from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 25, verse 4. Notice the next word, though, and. What does that tell us? The and tells us that there's a second quotation, correct? Second quotation, and that is, the laborer deserves his wages. Now, you can read all the way through the Old Testament and never come across that phrase, the laborer deserves his wages, and the reason is, it's not in there. Where do we find it? Answer, the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 10 and verse 7. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying. He's making two quotations of Scripture, one from Deuteronomy, one from the Gospel of Luke. By implication, he's saying Deuteronomy is the inspired Word of God and the Gospel of Luke is the inspired Word of God. Luke chapter 10, verse 7. Luke calls, excuse me, Paul calls Luke's Gospel Scripture. Do you know Peter did that with Paul's writings? Flip over to the right to 2 Peter chapter 3. I love this because he admits that some of Paul's writings are hard to understand. I think, thank the Lord. Even an apostle finds some of it difficult. Praise the Lord. 2 Peter chapter 3, look at verse um, 15. And count the patience of the Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul, he's writing a Paul now, also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks to them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. Oh, thank the Lord. Not just me. Which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction. Look at this. As they do the other scriptures. He's calling Paul's writings scriptures, otherwise... The phrase means no sense. As they do the other scriptures, it's including Paul as writing scripture. Some of it hard to understand, but I know, I recognize, when we're reading Paul, we're reading scripture. I hope that's helpful to you. Let's go back. 2 Timothy chapter 3. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for four things. We don't have time to elaborate on these. Maybe another time. For teaching, one. Number two, for reproof. Number three, for correction. And number four, for training in righteousness. Every aspect the Bible is profitable for each of these tasks. For teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Look at verse 17. That the man of God, here it refers to Timothy, but every man of God by implication, may be complete, 
equipped for every good work. Some translations render it thoroughly equipped for every good work. Years ago, I heard an illustration. I found it very helpful. We live in the Grand Canyon State, and it's an illustration about the Grand Canyon. Imagine that you're going on a hike of the canyon. You've been listening to the advice all through your life. Take a hike. And now you're finally doing it. You're going to hike the Grand Canyon. And you look up all the things you need. And you find out that you need 29 items, 29 tools, resources to have in place before you take the hike. You need the water bottle, you need a compass, you need adequate clothing, you need very good shoes, on and on the list is, and 29 things are definitely needed. And now picture in your mind two stores at the top of the canyon. And in one store, you've got your list of 29, you find that this particular store has 14 of the items. But there's a second store, you go with your list of 29, and it has all 29 of the items. You can get everything you need in that store. The message I want to provide by way of this illustration is the Bible's like that second store. It has everything you need. It thoroughly equips you for anything you'll face in ministry, for counseling, for evangelism, anything you need. Whatever is before you, I'm about to leave but I'm leaving you with the Word of God which thoroughly equips you for every good work. It's everything the man of God needs. And the Word of God equips thoroughly for every good work, every task of ministry. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, training in righteousness, everything you need. I once heard of a an assistant pastor. He'd gone through seminary. He'd been ordained. He'd had the Sunday before whereby he was now going to be the associate pastor and that's what he was doing as from Monday morning. Monday morning came and on the schedule he was aghast. He was shocked because it had been scheduled that he'd have a marriage counseling session. And he was in his early 20s, maybe mid-20s, and he was single, and he looked and asked about who this couple was who were coming for counseling, and they were a lot older than him, maybe 40 years older than him, and had been married 40 years, but were having trouble in the marriage, and he was freaking out. He he was going around the the whole office area saying, what am I going to do? What if they ask me questions? And he was all messed up. He was, he was just really beyond anxious. And so the pastor noticed and said, uh, what, what's the problem? And he says, uh, the, 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 there's, 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 you could hardly put words together. There's, 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 this, there's this couple, you, you, you've arranged for this counseling, and what happens if they ask me questions, and they know far more about marriage. I've not even married, been married a day, and they've been married 40 years, and I'm supposed to counsel them? And it was just, I appreciated his humility, but he was beyond humble. He was just terrified. And um, the pastor was all calm about it. And he said, well, you know the Bible, right? And he says, yeah. He says, well, just tell him what the Bible says. He said, that's it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. When, when you see that they're not in line with the Bible, tell them what the Bible says. And tell them that they need to submit to it. Not to you, 
the authority is the Bible, not you. And the authority is not your wisdom, but the wisdom of the Bible. And so you might be 25 years old and they may be a lot older, but tell them what the Bible says. It set him free. He actually enjoyed the ride. He enjoyed the counseling session and looked forward to the, other, to the next. Now, I don't know what happened. I don't know what the couple did with what the Bible said. But you realize the message is what the Bible says. Ladies and gentlemen, married couple, single person, do what the Bible says. That's it. Well, haven't you got more for us? No, no, no I don't need to go to the Greek school or Persian school or uh, any other kind of school to kind of, uh, you know, as a train, bring that in on the tracks so that I have the Bible plus. The Bible's enough. The Bible's enough. The Bible's enough for counseling. It's enough for evangelism. And it's enough for guidance. In my charismatic understanding, I was looking for breadcrumbs everywhere. Do you know what I mean by that? God was leaving, leave, leaving signs. You got three job offers, one in Seattle, one in Wisconsin, one in uh, Florida. And, and you're thinking, now which one does the Lord want? And you put the TV on and the commercials, and one's for Seattle coffee. <laughs> oh, is the Lord speaking to me? And you turn the channel and you say, Florida's good in the summer. Now I'm confused. And you're just thinking, now, what word is coming to me? Is there something between my ears? Am I, am I, uh, um, um, uh, can I find Seattle in the Bible? No, I can't. And you're looking, you're looking for the breadcrumbs. And imagine getting to, to God and you go to Seattle and you should have gone to Florida. And, and God says to you, you messed up so badly in the year 2022. I was trying to show you on different television sets where you should go. I was leaving the... I was making it obvious. You turned the channel just as about there's going to be another commercial for Seattle. And you, you messed up. And you know, I'm, I'm, you're walking past people and they say Seattle. And you're looking at... I, I tried my best to guide you. But you messed up. Your whole life was ruined. You went to Florida. That's the way I lived. Lord, Lord am, I do, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? You know what I read when I read my Bible? This is the will of God. My ears pricked up. This is the will of God. Tell me, tell me your sanctification. Oh, no, it can't be that. I need something more. I need the Bible plus. No, no, no. Here's what you do for the will of God. Make the most sanctified decision. What a thought. So, when you've got the three choices, job offers in those different places, Seattle, Wisconsin, and Florida, find out where the job is, and if there's a good church there, because you need that for your sanctification. Don't move to a place without a church. There, there are seasoned people who don't get this, and you think they've got so much knowledge, and they don't get this. There's a guy I knew some years back, and he said, the Lord told me to go to this place. And I said, oh, where's, did you go to church? No, we haven't found one. How long have you been there? 18 months? So the Lord led you to go to a place. Now, he could lead you to a place to go start a church. But ladies and gentlemen, doesn't the Bible tell us that we need to be part of a local church? Why would the Lord, Yahweh himself, lead you to go somewhere where there's no gospel? There's no true doctrine. You and I need that. I need to make the most sanctified decision. So whether it's young daughter is going to college or a young man or whatever the situation, what is the most sanctified decision I can make that's going to be for the well-being of my family spiritually. That's the will of God for you. 
That's like another rock in our pond, right? Amen. We have to make a a decision. Is the Bible enough? The Reformation, and I believe born out of Scripture, was, yes it is, it's both necessary and sufficient for everything I need in my life. And God is able to be very intimate with me as I read my Bible. But in my former realm, I thought I needed the Bible plus. Those in Roman Catholicism, you've got the Bible, but you need the church to help you understand it. And we'll give you the true interpretation. For the cults, you need Watchtower magazine. You need something from somewhere else with the official way of interpreting your Bible. No, you need the Holy Spirit and you need good teachers around you, but the Bible alone is enough to equip you for salvation, to know the truth of it, it's clear, and to know the will of God. And when we go to elders and when we go for counseling, what we hope is that they know the Bible better than we do. That's it. What's my qualification? The, mo- the way I can most help you is to be better acquainted with the Bible. That's it. I can learn from a whole bunch of people. But what I hope I also do is learn most about what's in the Bible, how to rightly interpret it, so that when you come to me and when I preach, I'm telling you what the Bible says. And there's something in you that says, you know, that's all I need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful revelation of general revelation nature, but specific revelation scripture. We pray that you will give us not only the knowledge of this, but the love of this. That we will see that everything else is a fool's errand. Everything else is less than this. Nothing that happens between our ears rises to the level of scripture. May we be led by the Holy Spirit who has spoken his word to understand that it equips us for every good work. Lead us on, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.